You are tuned to WEHC Emory and WISCFM Wise. I'm Leanne Hunter, and we are broadcasting from the campus of Emory and Henry. The time is 1 o'clock on Wednesday, January 10th, and that means it's time for another edition of Farm Talk, the program that educates and answers your questions about dealing with the natural world. If you've got questions for the host, Virginia Tech Agricultural Extension Agent Phil Blevins, you may email pblevins at vt.edu. You can send a message to WEHC on Facebook or call the radio station at 276-944-6933. And here for the next 30 minutes is the host of Farm Talk, Phil Blevins. Well, it's good to be with everyone again today on this January the 10th. Uh, it's, we're past the new year now, and I always think we're ready for spring now that we're going into the spring time of the year. And I thank uh, WEHC for having me on the program today. And so I thought one of the things we would talk about today, which uh, has application to everyone that might be listening, whether they're a farmer, or whether they're a gardener, a landscape person, whatever they might be, is uh, adjusting pH in the soil because I get a lot of questions about that through the year. Uh, One of the things that's been that some people have asked me about in the past few years is there's a liquid calcium product on the market that has been touted as being able to change pH with very little of it applied, and we want to get to that before the program's over to talk about that. And so... uh, First of all, for most of the crops that we would grow in this part of the world or plants that you would grow in a garden or in a landscape, the pH needs to be maintained in the 6.2 to 6.5 range. And if you're not familiar with pH, I know most of you are, but pH is a measure of either the acidity or the alkalinity of the soil. If you've heard the old-timers talk about it, they'll talk about a sweet soil or a sour soil a sweet soil being one that's more alkaline and a sour soil being one that's beginning to be very acid. Most plants like to grow in the mildly acid range, which is in the 6.2 to 6.5 range, Uh, 7 being neutral where the acids and the bases are balanced in the soil. But there are a few exceptions to that. If you grow potatoes, they do better at a pH below 6, about 5.5 to 5.8. If you grow azaleas, they really or blueberries, they need a more acid soil, and so we can adjust for that. But for the most part, we're going to talk about being in the range that we uh, uh, that we're talking about in the six two to six five. If you ever do get a soil sample back, I looked at one just today that said the person needed to lower their pH, and so in that case, we can do that with sulfur. Uh, and if you ever have a question about that, you could give me a call, and we can take care of that. But uh, And so let's think about that. Why is pH important? And really it's important because of nutrient availability. If you think about the big three uh, elements that we're worried about uh, when we're growing crops, that being nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, uh, those are most available in the range that we're talking about, in the 6 to 6.5 range or 6.2 to 6.5 range. And so If we can keep the pH there, then that's what we want to do. Now, in our part of the world where it rains uh, generally a lot, uh, we're constantly, our pH is constantly going down naturally. And so that's why we have to be concerned about uh, doing something to adjust the pH up. Over time, the pH will drop as the uh, rainwater percolates through the soil 
and <clears throat> you lose that alkalinity. And actually, from a chemical standpoint, hydrogen ions build up, which make it more acidic. And so uh, we're constantly having to adjust that. Well, obviously, the first thing that you need to do, and I always mention this, is you need to take a soil sample, regardless of what you're growing, whether you're growing a crop of corn, whether it's pasture or hayland, or whether it's a garden or plants in a flower bed. You need a soil sample to be able to determine exactly where you need to be on that because just looking at the soil we really can't tell much about it now I can look and you can too if we see broom sage growing in a field then we know we've got a problem either we've got a low pH or we've got a low phosphorus level or we've got both but the only way we can know exactly what we should do is take a soil sample and have that analyzed and so (coughs) excuse me just to give you an idea of how important it is. If we look at phosphorus efficiency, which is certainly important for plant growth, if you have a pH of 6, then the relative phosphorus efficiency of the soil is about 75%. If you go to 6.5, then it's 100%. But if you drop down to a 5, it's 34%. And so it's a big difference because what happens is the pH is too high or too low as the phosphorus gets tied up in forms that are unavailable to the plant. If we looked across all of those three, big three, nitrogen, phosphate, and potash that we generally apply to crops to grow them, if we go to an extremely acid soil like a pH of 4.5, which does exist in our part of the world, then and we're putting our fertilizer down like the soil sample says, but we're not adjusting the pH, then we're wasting over 70% of the fertilizer we put down, either being tied up in unavailable forms or losing the nitrogen back to the atmosphere or being leached through the soil. Uh, At a pH of uh, 5.5, we're actually wasting about a third of the fertilizer that we put down, unless we have a crop that's growing, that needs to grow in that range. So once we get it up above a pH of 6, then we start getting in the range where all of those nutrients are available to the plant. And that's what we want because fertilizers are expensive. We don't want to waste them. Uh, Even if they weren't expensive, we want maximum growth. We want prettier flowers or we want higher yields of hay or higher yields of corn, higher yields of pasture, whatever it might be, higher yields of vegetables. And so we want the pH to be where we want it. And there's a law called the law of minimums. If any of you out there ever had a soils course, you've heard of Liebig's Law. Uh, and Liebig came up with this idea of, and it's it's true, that your yield is going to be is only going to be as high as your most limiting resource. And so, that's been illustrated a lot by using a barrel with barrel staves in it, like an old wooden barrel. And your amount of water that you can pour in a barrel, a stave barrel, is going to be limited to the shortest stave. And so if your shortest stave is halfway up the barrel, you can pour all the water you want in the barrel, but it's never going to be more than half full. Well, the same thing applies in plant growth. And this he came up with this in 1842, which it's been known a long time, that if you take all the things that are necessary for plant growth, and that includes the elements, the fertilizer elements, that includes pH, That includes light, heat, water, air, all the things that would be necessary for a plant to grow. You're never going to produce more than your most limiting nutrient. So 
If nitrogen is limiting, then it's going to be limited to how much nitrogen is in the soil. If phosphorus is limiting, it's going to be limited to how much phosphorus is in the soil. And we can do all the fertilizing we want of other things. We can apply all the water, air, light, heat, anything else that's necessary. We're never going to outdo what is limiting the plant. And so pH has a role in that because it ties up. If it's not where it should be, those elements are tied up and not available to the plant. Now, to give you an idea of what happens when we remove crops from or uh, a crop from the ground, or we graze it, you know, we take nutrients from the ground, and so we need to always reapply those. Orchard grass, for example, if we made three tons of orchard grass per acre. That's removing 150 pounds of nitrogen, 50 pounds of phosphate, and 185 pounds of potash to be able to do that. So if, if that's not available uh, because the pH is wrong, then obviously that's going to affect yield, and that's going to affect yield substantially in that case. Well, so if we think about how are we going to adjust uh, pH, well, really, there are different ways to do it, but the most effective way on a big scale or even on a small scale in the garden is to use limestone. And limestone is calcium carbonate, is the chemical formula for that. And it works because those carbonates react with the acids in the soil and actually neutralize those acids. And so, you know, when we think about that, I mentioned earlier that there's a product, there's some calcium products out on the market, and they're called liquid calcium. And I've had several questions about that, and that is, is liquid calcium a substitute for lime? Well, you know, as I said, we know that pH is critical as far as fertility goes. And, you know, as a rule in the past, uh, lime has been relatively inexpensive. Now, it's gone up in the past two or three years for different reasons because of fuel costs and things like that. <clears throat> and so the cost of applying two to three tons of lime per acre on several acres of land is significant. But it, as if it's necessary, then that's what we want to do. You know, there's a, there's a saying in the Bible that says that there's those that withhold more than is necessary, but it tends to poverty. And I think that certainly applies in this case. We can, we can try to shortcut things, but it's never going to be the yield that we want or the outcome that we want when we want to do that. And so there's been some of these advertisements about liquid calcium products that have indicated that you can use two to three gallons of this product versus the lime that you need, and it would actually correct the pH problem. Well, you know, if you've got a particular minor calcium deficiency problem, you might be able to deal with that with a small amount. For example, with blossom enrod in tomatoes, which is a calcium deficiency, uh, with this calcium product, you could probably correct that by spraying the plant. Because most of these products that I've looked at are a calcium chloride product. And calcium chloride has no neutralizing capacity. It's just chemically impossible for calcium chloride to neutralize acids in the soil. It just doesn't work. It's not because I don't want it to work or somebody else don't want it to work. That's just the way it works. I mean, you have to have the carbonate there in lime to be able to do that or some other type of base 
uh, from a chemical standpoint that can neutralize acids. And so there are liquid products out there that can be used. There is liquid lime, which will actually neutralize just like dry lime will. Uh, the problem with it is, is you have to have the application equipment to be able to put it down. You can't run it through your little yard spreader or your big uh, ag spreader that's made to uh, apply dry lime. It just doesn't work. So you have to have the equipment to be able to put it down. And the other thing with it is it's so finely ground to be able to, uh, uh, to, be able to use it is that it reacts really quick. It reacts really quick, and so it'll raise the pH really quick, which is good, but the downside of that, it begins to drop very soon after you put it down because you just don't have that residual like you do with dry lime. And I should have explained that, that dry lime, there's a requirement with dry lime that there's various particle sizes in it, and all of them that will react. There's a percentage of it by law that has to pass through a hundred mesh sieve and that causes it to react that part to react really quickly but you have some larger particles that react over time and so it has a more sustained effect on pH uh, but nonetheless uh, you know let's 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 think about the calcium carbonate thing uh, or the calcium I'm sorry the calcium chloride thing uh, that's just not going to react with those acids in the soil and do that. And, and, and from a cost standpoint, it doesn't make a lot of sense either. Uh, some of the products that I've looked at, and, you know, I'm sure the price is higher now because it's been a little bit since I've looked at them, but they contain about 10% calcium. Now, calcium certainly is an important nutrient in plant growth, but that's either from calcium chloride or calcium nitrate or sulfate. And so, uh, and the cost with them is somewhere between $10 and $15 per gallon, depending on the volume of the, ga of the container. And a gallon of this calcium chloride weighs about 11 pounds. And so if we put a gallon of uh, calcium uh, chloride down, uh, and then we're going to get 10%, 10 percent of that's going to be calcium, we're getting about a pound of calcium out of that. And if the recommendation, local producers have told me that they've been led to believe that two to three gallons of this material per acre for forages would replace the lime needs. Well, that's just not true. You know, a, if you put down three gallons of this material that's 10% calcium that weighs 11 pounds per gallon, you're getting about 3.3 pounds of calcium per acre if you put that down. And it's going to cost you between 30 and $45 per acre or somewhere in that range uh, to be it to buy this material to put it down. Now, if you think about, for example, if you were growing a crop of alfalfa, I think really illustrates this well. You know, an alfalfa removes about 22 pounds of calcium per ton of dry matter, and so if you got a four-ton yield, which is a fairly low yield for alfalfa, that means you'd be removing about 88 pounds of calcium. And so that's a big difference. That's a big difference that you're going to have to meet and to replace those the calcium that would be removed just by one ton of alfalfa. You would need about seven gallons of the liquid calcium per acre, which is going to cost you between seventy and one hundred and five dollars. Now, you know, I'm not out to get the guys that are selling calcium chloride because it does have an application. But I think what we need to think about is that going to meet the needs that I have.
because if you look at a summary <clears throat> of soil samples for this part of the world, for southwest Virginia, and I'm sure East Tennessee and uh, northwest North Carolina, West Virginia, wherever you're looking, I'm sure it's going to be similar. But a summary of soil samples that have been submitted to the Virginia Tech soil testing lab from, I looked at 2016 through 2019 for the mountain region of Virginia. And what that revealed is low pH is a much bigger issue than low calcium. Uh, what we can learn from that set of samples is that a maximum of 6% of any of the samples uh, from the crop category would respond economically to the addition of calcium. So only 6% of those samples said that they were low in calcium. Uh, and if you look at those that were, if we look at those that were low, that had a pH <clears throat> that needed to be adjusted, it was a high percentage of them that were below 5.9. You're talking about in some cases over half of the samples uh, needed the pH adjusted when they didn't really need the calcium uh, adjusted. And so, you know, the bottom line is that's just not going to accomplish uh, what we need if we're trying to change pH with calcium chloride. So that brings us back to lime. Uh, that brings us back to a resource that we have in this part of the world that's really, really still economical because I tell people if you are Try, if you have a fertility problem, if there's fertilizer that's needed, and you also need to adjust the pH, the first thing you need to do is adjust the pH. I mean, if you can't do both, at least adjust the pH to where it needs to be because that's going to release some nutrients in the soil that are tied up uh, so that they can be plant available. And, and then if you can do both, and obviously that's an important thing to do, um, and to kind of give you a general idea of what it takes to adjust pH in the soil, if you were trying to raise the pH from 5.5 to 6.5 on most of the medium-textured soils that we have in this part of the world, that's going to take about three tons of lime per acre. And so, uh, you know, a question that comes up when you ask, when you say that is, well, when do I need to do that? Well, First of all, go back to what I said early on. Uh, you need to take a soil sample. That's one of the things that you need to do is always take a soil sample so that you know how much you need. And then you need to do that just as soon as possible after you know what you need to do. Uh, you know, this is a good time of the year to do it because we don't, unless the ground's froze, there's not much chance that we're going to lose any lime. Uh, the only way we would lose it if the ground is froze is if it rained hard enough for some of it to wash off. But we want that reaction to start so as soon as possible. And like I said, by law, ag lime has a percentage of it uh, that's going to react very quickly and begin to raise the pH. Well, the next question someone says, well, I can't afford three tons of lime per acre this year. My budget just won't do that. And so in that case, uh, what I would say in that case is then if you can put at least a ton and a half down, uh, you're going to get the impact that you need for the current year uh, to be able to uh, correct the situation for one year at least, and then you could come back with the rest of it later. Now, for those of you that aren't talking about acres, for those of you that are talking about garden size or lawn size or something of that nature, 
Uh, what we recommend in the case of a turf, for example, if you have if you need lime for your yard, then uh, if you if you think about it, about what we recommend is never put more than fifty pounds per thousand square feet, and the reason for that is is because it's it's just because of aesthetics. Uh, if you put more lime than that down, your yard's going to be gray look until it rains enough to wash it in. And the other thing is, is from the standpoint of tracking it in the house. You know, we don't think about those sometimes things sometimes when we're talking about growing plants. But if you've got a lot of lime on your grass and you've got a dog that runs around the yard or a cat or you, uh, you're going to track that back in the house, and that's going to be a problem for most people. Um, most of the time, when you have a low pH in the soil in in a yard, what you'll get back with the soil sample is. You may need 100 pounds per 1,000 square feet, and they're going to say to put that down in 50-pound increments uh, so that you uh, so to avoid those problems that I'm talking about. Another question that comes up along this line is, is agricultural lime, like you would get from the quarry at uh, Exit 17 in Abingdon, is going to be uh, hard for the homeowner to get for the most part unless you've got a trailer or something that you could go get it. And really, the only way a homeowner could spread that would be with a drop spreader. And so some people like to use pelleted lime. And pelleted lime uh, certainly will work. Uh, it's pulverized lime that has been put together with a binder into granules uh, that we can put down with a, a cyclone-type spreader that actually slings uh, the material that we're putting down out. Uh, because it's in pellets, though, it doesn't get as good a coverage, but over time we can correct pH problems with that. So uh, as soon as we know that we need lime, we need to put it down. Uh, if we don't find out we need to put it down till right before we plant in the garden or whatever it is, then we need to go ahead and put it down. There's no need to wait because, as I said, you do have that fraction of it that is very reactive and will begin to raise the pH. With that fraction that passes the 100 mesh screen, uh, you'll see an increase in pH in two weeks after you've put it down. Uh, for major changes in pH, it's going to take longer than that, and that's why we recommend with ag lime that you use it because it's going to have that sustained uh, type effect on the soil. There are other things you can use. Those of you that burn wood, if you put wood ashes on your garden, that's going to raise the pH, so you have to be careful that you don't use too much of it because you can get the pH too high and end up with nutrients tied up that way, or as I think I mentioned in an earlier program, you can end up with scabby potatoes because the high pH favors that disease. And so lots of things go along with this, but the bottom line is if you want to change pH, the most economical way, the most practical way is to use agricultural lime or calcium carbonate to be able to do that. And so, you know, if you have questions about this, uh, as I've said earlier, if you can send me an email at pblevins at vt.edu. If you need soil sample kits, uh, we have those in the office. They're free. Uh, and you can send those soils to the lab at Virginia Tech, and uh, usually you get your analysis back within seven days. And so it's a pretty quick turnaround, and that really gives you an idea of what you need to do then uh, to correct the situation and either to have the most beautiful landscape or the, most, the highest potential for good yields in crops. And so 
Again, if you have questions, you can give me a call at the office or send me an email, and I'd be glad to help you with that. Appreciate you being with us today on the program, and uh, look forward to the next time we're together. And so I hope everyone has a good week and happy growing this year. You have been listening to Farm Talk with Phil Blevins. Tune in next week on Wednesday at 1 p.m. On this station, we are the voice of Southwest Virginia. If you have questions for Phil, you can email pblevins at vt.edu, and he will be happy to answer them. This is WEHC Emory and WISEFM Wise.